How we all doing? Yeah, it's good. It's a good day. Acts 19, will you join me there? I think we're going to make it through Acts this year, believe it or not. I have a, a group of pastors of different churches that I meet with um, a couple times a month on Friday mornings, and uh, they're from a bunch of different denominations and whatnot in writing area, and I'm known as the, uh, the pastor who uh, spends, you know, years in a book. Um, I don't know how I got that reputation, but I, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's a reality. So anyway, so I keep, you know, they're always asking me, like, are you in chapter three of Acts yet this year? And this kind of thing, and I'm saying, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, I think we're going to make it through. We'll see. Acts 19, uh, follow along with me. Uh, here we go. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Do you, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some uh, became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. This continued for two years, so that the, the, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastering all of them and overpowering them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. 
And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with human hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only in that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the, with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, when the Jews had put, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours... They all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you see anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things... He dismissed the assembly. Every human being, from the moment I think we are born, crave power. We're hungry to, to have power. To, to be in control, we, we recognize right away that this world that we've been born into is a dangerous world. It's, it, it's a world that's filled with all kinds of things that could go wrong in a moment. And, and our life seems like it's constantly hanging in the balance. And so even from the time as an infant to, of course, teenagers and adults, we all are striving for power and control over our life to somehow diminish the fear that we have 
diminish the concern we have of this world, to to somehow tame uh, our surroundings. The fact is that death is always at our door and suffering seems to be right next to it. Oppression is is always a threat and, and abuse potentially by others. We need power so that we can protect ourselves, so that we can make sure that our life continues, so that we can make sure that we're free from oppression and abuse. These powers that we seek have come in very different power levels, if you will. Some of us have got to a stage where we can seek global power. Others, it's national power. Others, it's maybe more of like a state or a local power, and others of us just settle for family power. But no matter who we are, much of what drives us every day is the pursuit of power. In our world, there are several different sources of power that human beings can obtain. There's, of course, the physical power that, you know, the strength that we can build. You know, uh, young men, especially when uh, they're in their teen years and early 20s, they like to build up their bodies. I remember doing that. Uh, I loved pumping iron, right? You know, I just love building up the body and feeling, you know, that athletic, you know, body and build and strength physically, right? Uh, But there's other forms of strength. There's, of course, the the other sex who uh, tends to uh, have the strength of beauty, And now they can do all kinds of things to improve their strength by making themselves look more and more attractive. But there's also things like intellect and uh, our ability to know and understand. And, And so these physical powers are there for human beings to strive after. And it's obtaining these physical powers that then help us to deal with our fear, help us to control our surroundings, help us protect us from this world. Another source of power that we humans can strive for is relational power, the ability to influence others. Some of us are born or maybe even develop over time a certain charisma that just draws people to us. And we continue to use that in order to gain that influence and and more and more people so that people will listen to us and respect us and that we can have impact on them and we can can protect ourselves. Others uh, relationally have this ability to just be so empathetic, compassionate, and they are able to grab power relationally just by caring so deeply for others, for being able to listen, to be able to care for them in different ways. Maybe a more sick version of this relational power is uh, those who manipulate. They're masters at manipulation knowing how to say uh, words in the right way with the right tone in order to get the, you know, elicit the response that they, you know, they, they desire. The final power that we humans can strive for is spiritual. Since our beginning as a, a, as a human race, if you will, We've always had a a recognition that there's some kind of deity. Now, certainly there are times and seasons and cultures and individuals who have rejected that, rejected the fact that there's some kind of God or whatever, and that's fine. But there's others as well that most of us, most of culture, so sweet, can't compete with that, right? I mean, oh my gosh, just like you guys can't compete with Oliver. I'm going to see Oliver. I'm out. Sorry. 
Um, so spiritual, a spiritual power is also something we seek through the deities that we worship, that we seek to appease the deity and, and sacrifice to the deity so that, that they will be happy with us and so that they will bless us and they will give us the control that we want so that they will be able to, you know, kind of make sure that our life is good and that, that our crops will not fail and that, that, you know, we'll have food, we'll have shelter, we'll be cared for, right? And so this, this seeking of power uh, through the spiritual means, through a deity that's near us. Sometimes that includes just a, 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 a legalism, a morality, or asceticism, if you will, to, to follow the, the rules of this deity, whoever we've chosen to worship. But all of these human-based sources of power, we seek them, again, in order to help us gain control of our world, in order to help us to navigate this, this chaos that's all around us. So much of the unknown and the world that's, that's just constantly changing and wild. But also to be able to protect our life. To help to, us to preserve that life and, and even to extend that life. We are seeking through these sources of power to avoid suffering. Avoid oppression and the abuses of the world. And oftentimes it's seeking this power that gives us purpose. Oh my, all kinds of excitement today. Gives us a purpose. It's often in seeking this power that we can see that our impact is expanded. And in seeing and seeking this power that our legacy is assured. But the problem with all of these human sources of power is that they're all quite unreliable. Truth is, Strength always fades. Beauty fades. Relationally, people, they're fickle. <laughs> they may sing our praises one day and the next stone, <laughs> seek to stone us. And deities, even deities, are unpredictable. Don't know for sure what they're going to do. Even if we do all the things they tell us to do, it doesn't always work out. There's unpredictability. But there is a source of power that is reliable, that is faithful, that is true. Yeah, Jesus. And this is what Paul knows. I think in, when, I, when I read chapter 19, this is really the way the Lord directed my thoughts in this chapter, is that, that Paul recognizes that there is a power source, a, a power source that comes with salvation. He, he, he sees these, these guys in Ephesus who, who don't have the Spirit. They, they're disciples. They, they understand who Jesus is, but they don't understand the fact that there's this Holy Spirit. They never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, and Paul knows, he's like, wait a second, no, no, with salvation comes the Holy Spirit, comes power. If you have been saved, but you don't have power, then there's something wrong, there's something not right here. We need to, we need to correct this, we need to deal with this, we need to make sure that you understand that, that coming to Christ... There's power that comes with that. And you should experience that and see that. He expects, Paul expects that with salvation comes power. That there will be expressions of power that will come out. 
We see throughout the chapter or the book of Acts over and over again. People come to Christ. People have their hands laid on. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then power comes. Speaking in tongues, oftentimes healings, other things. It's amazing. Prophecies, all these things. Acts chapter 2, you know, the whole Joel chapter 2, you know, kind of a prophecy, right? That our young men will dream dreams, right? Our old men will see visions, right? This is happening. The Spirit has power. The Spirit has power for salvation and for life. We see that in salvation, right, that moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, it is the Holy Spirit that comes in and makes us a new creation, totally transforming us into something totally new, and that totally new thing is united with God. We become one with our Maker. There's a sealing that happens that our salvation is sure because we know that we've been made into this new creation by the Holy Spirit's work. But it's more than that. It's not just a future salvation of eternity. It's a current reality as well that there is power for life. As the Holy Spirit and, God, and the Godhead, Jesus and the Godhead, has the power to protect all of life. It is God who is in control. It is God who who determines the days of our life before we're even born, but then sustaining each day until it comes that day when we are destined to meet our maker. This power that comes through salvation that Paul preached, that Paul expected is the only power that will relieve our anxious hearts. It's the only power that will calm our fears. It's the only power that will let us, help us to let go of our striving to try to save our life and and, and prevent uh, 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 suffering. It is this power that brings security to the fearful. It is this power that brings freedom to the enslaved. It is this power that brings wealth to the poor. It is this power that brings healing to the broken. It's this power that brings grace to the shamed. And it's this power that brings hope to the despairing. It is this power, this this reliable, this uh, eternal power that solves and corrects all of our fears, all of our anxiousness, all of our concerns. And Paul exhibits this power as well in such amazing ways in this chapter. Throughout his life, we see this. Right Again, this is a power that is not just some eternal hope. It's not just some spiritual condition of power. It's actually a physical power as well. We've seen uh, the things that God has done in and through Paul. The healings that have come, the, the cleansings that have come, the, the blindness. Remember the man who, who, who was distracting and was causing one of the, one of the people he was talking to, to to not accept Jesus. And he, made, he said, you're going to be blind for a while. And the guy turned blind, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit shows up and blinds others. The earthquake that we just saw in the last chapter. He was stoned and then got up and went back into the city. And here, this amazing reality that even the, the articles of clothing that have touched him, 
taken to other people and they are healed when they touch that clothing. This is unbelievable. This is power that is, uh, we, we can't explain it. There's nothing else in the world that has this kind of power. And we see this over and over again in the book of Acts. And I, and I think, you know, the book of Acts, you know, scripture is, scripture is so much about telling us about who God is, about what he can do. You know, we, we, we've been through maybe a season of time where we don't see these massive miracles. Like, who do you know, the last person that you know that, that was able to pass around a handkerchief and everybody get healed? Anybody know that person? No, no, right? Heard of it? Anyone heard of it? I, I haven't heard of it, right? right? I mean, it just doesn't happen, right? I mean, it's, so we, so we kind of get lulled into this sleep, you know, well, God really isn't active and our, and our faith becomes deistic, where we just think, you know, oh yeah, there's this great God and he's awesome, but he's really not that active. But no, Scripture says, no, 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 whether you are seeing it or not, you need to understand this is the God that we have. This is the one we worship, that he is alive, that he is active, that he is moving, that he is powerful. We need to seek his power above all else. Shocked. Everybody's shocked by this. I don't know if... Everybody's like, that would be cool if that was me. I don't know if I'd want this, but like even the demons know Paul's name. I don't know if I want the demons knowing my name. <laughs> right? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of cool, but. <laughs> Power. And it's not because of Paul, right? It's because of the Holy Spirit. And I love the radical response of the Ephesians. After all that's going on here, like this amazing miracles that are happening, this encounter with the sons of Sceva, right? I mean, it's crazy. And then the Ephesians in mass, like there's this massive, you know, uh, uh, just conversion, right? A massive, you know, just coming to, to, coming to faith. And they, they come and they, I, I, these are people that have lived their life. Uh, you know, it talks about magical arts. Well, certainly that, but, but worshiping Artemis or other gods. I mean, th these are people that have spent their life worshiping and seeing and pursuing power from other sources. And then Paul shows up and they are so impacted by the power that comes out of him. I think there's probably so much more that's not written in here by Luke that we, I mean, we, I, I, just, just so much that is going on. The power is so obvious that these people that have been worshiping other gods, seeking power from other sources all of their life, totally just give it all up. And they turn and they bow their knee to Jesus. So much so that they take all the things that they've been worshiping before, like we got to get rid of this stuff because it's just evil. It's just ugly. It has no power in it. We can just burn it. It doesn't matter. There's nothing in it. The power of the Holy Spirit is where the power is. Unbelievable response. You probably have seen maybe the calculations on this 50 silver coins or whatever, 50, whatever, what was the term they use? Anyway, yeah, it's four to five million dollars today, dollars, right? Four to five million dollars worth. That's not just a small you know, amount, right? That's a big amount. And they just dump it. But of course, that's you know, four to five million dollars. That's also why Demetrius is a little upset. And the craftsmen, they're like, oh, wait a second. That's four or five million dollars that you paid me for that. And now you're not going to be buying that to replace that thing? I mean, what's going on here, right? And this is a reality, right? The world always pushes back. 
You see, when, when, we, when pe- human beings actually find the true and only reliable source of power in the world, they stop operating the way that the world operates. And the world operates uh, always uh, highlighting and banking on our fear. If they can get us afraid, if they can get us wanting, desiring, if they can get us want, you know, seeking, then they've got us. And so human beings, I mean, millions, billions, trillions have been made on human beings just based on their fear. Fear of death, fear of, uh, of oppression, fear of abuse, fear of whatever. I mean, just fear of life in general, right? Trillions of dollars have been made throughout the centuries. And so when somebody comes and they find the true source of power and recognize that all of the things that the world is offering in order to relieve their fear actually is, is worthless and they no longer need it, that is a threat to the rest of the world. It's a threat to the economy. It's a threat to their view of how things should go, their worldview, if you will, their perspectives. The massive response by the Ephesians causes the world to push back and say, no, wait a second. We need to do something about this. We need to tamp down this massive conversion. We need to tamp it down. We got, we got to end this thing right now. And you see the masses that rise. Great as Artemis, right? Oh my gosh. Just amazing tension that's going on. Almost a, almost a scene of uh, like Mount Carmel with Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Right? I mean, there's this, there's this tension that's there like, wait a second. No, no, no. Artemis is, is God. Artemis is the one who's all powerful. He's the one, she's the one that we're worshiping, right? You know, this kind of perspective. And, and so you see this, this battle that's going on, and then it just kind of dissipates at the end. I love that. The light, and, and, they all, and he just dismissed them, and they all just kind of went back to their homes, right? It's just like this big rise, this power, this chanting for two hours. Great is Artemis. Right? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Two hours. And then they just... We as human beings think that gaining power is the key to our protection and to our longevity as human beings. It has been the way that we've operated our entire existence as a race of beings. But we must come to a point where we admit that we have no power. Where we give up striving for power and instead surrender to Jesus. The reality is, again, is all the sources of power that we seek, the human sources of power, they're, they're, they're unreliable, they're, and they're secondary. Any kind of power that we get through these human resources, physical, relational, or spiritual, they're secondary powers. So in other words, God has all the power. He does allow for others to, to wield some power, but it's always a secondary power. It's not a primary power, and if it's a, not a primary power, then that power can always be trumped by someone else. 
So it's not reliable. At any point, that power that we're leaning on could be gone and the primary power step in and change everything. And so we have to recognize that even the secondary power items that we seek, they actually aren't power at all. They're nothing. They're foolishness. There is only one who has the power. There's only one place that we can find true hope. And the only way we can find that true hope is we, when we surrender to that powerful one. When we give up, when we let go, we stop striving for the other powers. As a matter of fact, we stop striving for power at all. We have to totally give up. Give up our strive to protect ourselves. Give up trying to, you know, make sure that our life continues. We have to give up the striving for control. And giving up is not manipulation. Some of us, I kind of preached a little bit about this a couple weeks ago in, with grace, but some of us are seeking to manipulate the powerful one in order to operate on our behalf through trying to appease him, through our legalism, through our moralism, through our living our lives for him. Look at all I did for you, God. Now you are going to take care of me. Now you're going to protect me. Where does the power lie in that? What power are we relying on? Are we relying on the amazing grace of Jesus? Or are we relying on our ability to appease him? You see, giving up means, it is not manipulation. It's not going to God to try to get him to do things for us. Giving up means that power is like, I have no power. I have nothing to offer. I can do nothing. And we just throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. May he choose to have mercy on our souls. Until we totally give up, we won't be able to enjoy all that God has to offer us, all that he will do for us. Because until we give up, we're still striving for power. And if we have any claim of power anywhere, then it's not beautiful, it's not holy, it's not God. It's us. Giving up is also not syncretism. This is what the sons of Sceva were trying to do. They had their you know, perspectives. It was a Jewish perspective of exorcism. And then they heard about all this Jesus stuff going on. Like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of power in this Jesus thing. And so they kind of, well, we got a little bit of the law. And now we're going to go ahead and grab a little bit of Jesus. We're going to throw that in. Okay, we're going to try this out. All right, hey, hey, demon, in the name of Jesus, come out, right? You know, there's, there's this syncretism, right? This, this, this combining of different beliefs and different perspectives. Of course, it didn't work out too well that, for them. And it doesn't work out too well for us. Yet I fear that there are too many of us as believers 
those who have been saved, those who are children of God, who are filling their lives with syncretism. We are still striving for power. We are still relying on our own strengths. We are still relying on our own beauty. We're still relying on our own intellect. We're mixing our trust on, with God with our knowledge, with our scientific discoveries, with our ability to logic out things. We think that thinking of a sign in my house, <laughs> all I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus, right? <laughs> no. I just need Jesus. Too many of us as believers, I think, are living with a little bit of whatever, and then a lot of Jesus. And we think it's okay. We've lived this way for so long, it's just, and everyone around us does it, so it, it just seems right. It seems like this is the way it goes, right? You know, the, he needs me to put in the effort. He needs me to have the strength. He needs me to understand his word. He needs me to memorize his scripture. He needs me to pray. He needs me, he needs me, he needs me. Constantly, like, I have these things I have to do. That this is the way, that this is, the, this is how God is going to be blessed. I'm going to do great things for God. Look at these great things I'm going to do for Jesus. And we do great things. But I think in the heavenly realms are going, that's not actually a great thing. Because you did it on your own. You did it in your own power. You did it in the human power. And anything done in human power is not good. It's not beautiful. It's not great. Because the only things that are great, the only one who is good, the only one who has power is Jesus. Amen. And it's only when we operate in his power, it's only when he gets all the glory that it actually is a great and beautiful and wonderful thing. Some of us are still trusting our charisma, our compassion. Our ability to develop relationships. That's what we have to offer, Jesus. Look what I did today, Jesus. Look at the people I got to talk to. Look at the people that are interacting. Look at the people I'm influencing. Look at this massive church that I've drawn to myself because look, I'm such a charismatic believer. You know, this is amazing. Look at all these great things I'm doing for you, Jesus. We mix trust of God with our fame, with politics, with our reputation. But we must reject self-worship. Any attempt for us to offer anything of value that we think is valuable to God is self-worship. Any attempt to pursue any kind of power is self-worship. We have to seek Jesus and Jesus alone. He will empower as he sees fit. As he sees fit. This is the surrender. This is the giving up. Giving up trying to predict what tomorrow is going to bring. Giving, giving up having control over tomorrow in any sense. 
That we would just simply sit at his feet and if tomorrow comes with celebration, praise the Lord. If tomorrow comes with struggle and tension and maybe death, praise the Lord. Because he is good. He's the one who is in in charge. He's the one who's sovereign, as Matt prayed. He's the sovereign Lord of the earth, right, of all of creation. Is he sovereign of your life? He is. Are you allowing it? Are you recognizing? Are you open to it? Any attempt to appease God is self-worship. Even the thought that we can somehow appease him. We can't appease him. All we can do is fall at his knees and say, Lord, I don't deserve you. I am just a depraved and ugly and horrible being. Will you please have mercy on my soul? That's all we have. Anything else is self-worship. I think we have to drive this into our hearts more and deep, deeper and deeper because the reality is I think we all so often get stuck in this you know, manipulation game with God, trying to get him to do what we want him to do. Well, I prayed a lot this week, God, so that means you've got to do X, Y, or Z, right? You know, come on, I've, I've been at church like for a month straight now. I mean, that's amazing. Come on, you've got to do something for me, right? We, we try to manipulate him, try to move him. Or then maybe we're not trying to manipulate him. We're trying to say, look, I'm such a great servant of yours. Look at all the amazing things. No, we've got to let it go. That's all self-worship. We've got to burn that stuff down. Got to get it out of our life. We've got to stop worshiping ourselves because the truth is, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, you can only serve one master. Are you going to worship yourself or are you going to worship God? Are you going to worship the pursuit of power or are you just going to worship the one who is powerful? As said, the world spends trillions of dollars on seeking power and control in our lives. And perhaps there's someone in this room today that's exhausted by this chase. Perhaps they recognize the futility of what they've been striving for and are ready to give up. Because the reality is, striving for power in this world, only a few find it. Perhaps they're ready to surrender to the all-powerful one. And there's many Christians though saved, living a syncretistic life. They've allowed syncretism to creep into their relationship with Jesus, and they're mixing Jesus with their strength, with their intellect, with their logic, with their fame, or with their compassion. They've mixed in their efforts, their accomplishments, and their perspectives. They've basically mixed in worship of themselves with worship of Jesus. And perhaps this morning the Spirit is convicting you of that self-worship. Perhaps it's time for you to give up as well. So this morning as the worship team comes back up and we close with some songs, I want to actually call for a bit of a response don't do this very often. Um, if I'm honest about it, I've got some philosophical issues with 
altar calls, <laughs> but the Lord is working them out in me, so it's good. <laughs> um, but here's the fact. Uh, this is a reality. I, I think there are times when we, you know, we're spiritual beings, right? And oftentimes we come into a church service like this and, and we're getting fed spiritually. Uh, and then we walk out and then it's like this physical life that we live out in the world, right? And, and so I think there's, there's, we sometimes need to, maybe not just sometimes, I think we need to be careful that we're, we're living whole lives, and that the things that the Spirit is speaking to our hearts, that they have some kind of physical expression. Of course, that's kind of what worship is about. It's that kind of physical response. But I, I want to do a little bit more than just the physical response of singing this morning. Because, you know, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and I just think this is a reality. I think we're striving. We all have this tendency to strive for our, our own power. And, and, so, and I think we have to let go of this. That striving for power is, is actually... We've got to let it go because the Holy Spirit is coming in, in more and more profound and powerful ways. And if we continue to try to grab onto the, the less, the secondary power sources, we're, we're, he's not going to be able to do the things that he wants to do. We're going to miss out on those, some of those, that stuff. Now, it doesn't mean we miss out in heaven. It just miss, we miss out on some of the great and awesome things that he wants to do. And so I just, I, I feel like we need to have a response this morning to this. And, and so here's the response that I want you to do. I, 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 I it starts with repentance. We have to repent. Like, if we're worshiping ourselves, we're worshiping the things of this world, right? We, it starts with repentance. And so I want us to repent, and, and I want us to, 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 to speak out in our minds at the very least, or maybe whisper it out if you need to, or, or whatever. You don't want to, you know, you don't have to necessarily let everybody in the world know, but whisper out the things that you've been relying on other than him, the things that you've mixed your faith with. The things that he has been highlighting in your heart during this message that you need to let go of, you need to give up. And then, uh, and then just, I think, finally, so repentance, admission, confession, and then, and then the final thing is just to surrender, just to stand at his feet, maybe get on your knees at his feet and just say, okay, I, I just need you. That's it. Just, just you. Help me to just, be, just trust you and not try to do it on my own anymore, not try to have control, not try to have power, just whatever, Lord, you want to do. And so here's how I would like this to be expressed. Um, I think if, as you walk through this process, when you get to the end, the last thing, so repentance, confession, and then surrender, uh, when you get to surrender, uh, um, so when, when someone, you know, uh, is going to surrender, generally they put their hands up <laughs> and, and so like, okay, I give, I give, I give. Uh, and so that's the expression. That's the outward expression that I would like you to do as we continue in worship. Uh, you can sing the song if you can, or if you just need to be in your head for a little while talking with Jesus, then do that. Uh, and then when you get to that end part where you surrender, I, I just want you, you don't have to, uh, well, maybe you should, but uh, you, can, you can go high with your hands or you can just just little, you know, little kind of baby hands up kind of surrender thing. You can do that too. But just lift your hands and just as a symbol of saying that you're letting, it, you're letting go, you're giving up. And you just, just want Jesus. Just, gee, I got nothing to offer. I can't do anything. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to appease you. I'm just, just thank you, Jesus. So let's do that for the next little bit as the Lord leads you. Will you lift your hands with me? 
Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing goodness. You love us. And that you are powerful. Lord, help us to let go of our pursuit of power. only one who is powerful would help us to admit our weakness help us to just throw ourselves at your feet and we have nothing to offer nothing we can do for you it's all you all we can do is choose to worship you and you alone. Help us, Lord. Help us to give up. Give up the pursuit of power, Lord. Help us to give up trying to appease you, Lord. Help us to give up our self-worship. Lord, just help us to worship you more fully. be glorified, that you would have your way in all the earth. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 7 and following, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Jumping down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is waiting, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on the unseen realities of this world, to stop striving after the human power things of this world, and just give ourselves totally to you, totally surrendered, totally for your glory. May you have your way in us, Lord. Come and fill us with your spirit one more time. Give us a fresh anointing as you determine, as you decide to give us what you mean and what you want in the moment for your glory, whatever that looks like. And Lord, we will receive, whether it be just salvation for all eternity and the amazing presence of your spirit with us or whatever other power you choose to give us. We receive it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Church, uh, we've got a couple more songs, and so if you want to continue, please do. If you want to fellowship, then please do that out in the fellowship hall, please. And, and then if you need prayer, maybe the Lord's convicting you, something you need to come, and you want to have somebody pray with you, we would love to pray with you about it. God is moving and acting in wonderful ways in our world right now. He's doing it in our church. Surrender to him. Let's give it all. Let's give up and just let him do whatever he's going to do. It's going to be amazing. All right, church, have a blessed Sunday.